What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says... Zoom and Enhance. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkema. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we wanted to talk about this idea of playing with cameras and the images that they take, whether it's still photography or video images, and this idea of being able to manipulate those images and maybe even do this crazy Zoom and Enhance thing. You guys you guys are familiar with the TV, right? I need some help, you guys. What? Why is that? There's been a theft. A theft. Uh, a theft. What was stolen? Well, somebody broke into my home uh-huh. and they stole all of my VHS tapes of the Super Mario show. Wow. That's all not, of them. That's not necessarily a loss, but I appreciate that you're hurting. Lauren, no, this is a loss not just for Joe, but for all mankind. It was the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Right. And now I don't have it. 
But I've got a lead, okay? Okay. Yeah. So I had a digital security camera installed in my home not too I long ago. I love that ago. you have a VHS collection of Super Mario, uh-huh. but you have a digital security camera. <laughs> I have Go a digital on. security Priorities. camera, yeah. and it, it records video uh, in still frames of... Oh, I guess they're about a hundred pixels each. Wow! So yeah. very low resolution. Ah, that's a hundred pixels. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot, it's, it's right? More, it's more than two. Well, okay. anyway, I, so I, I put got together puzzles that had a hundred pieces in them. So it's not that much. Yeah, and it takes a picture every sixty seconds. So that's not bad. So I, so, I don't call that video. I call that a series <laughs> of very crappy still photos. But go. I on. have a photo of the thief. Okay. <laughs> All right, sure. and I'm gonna try to. Find him. It could also be Sasquatch. But, we don't know yet. But I need your help okay. to identify this person. Right. So do we – I know here that we got a lot of techie people here at the office. That is true. Do we have one of those enhanced computers? I can just scan this in. Right. And, and we can press enhance and it will give us the dude's face. No. We don't have one of those. Why don't we have? They've got to be pretty cheap by now, right? They're not, they're okay. not real. No. So, all right. So what, what we're referring to here is a trope. <laughs> Uh, I first of all, Joe. I, I certainly hope that that was uh, and just an example story, and that you haven't actually suffered a terrible loss. Of no, all your, I'm oh, just kidding. All right, good. So, you, so the Super Mario videotapes are safe. They're very safe. Okay, good. So, what we're talking about is a, a television trope. In fact, uh, one of my favorite websites to just waste time on is one of the TV tropes sites, where you can just read about all these these sort of cliches that have been used in television and film for about as long as the those types of media have existed, really. Um, and some of them are a little newer than others. Zoom and enhance, pretty new, because we didn't have those kind of, we didn't even think about those kind of capabilities until maybe the last couple of decades. Okay, so it may have been earlier than this, but the earliest example I can think of is in 1982, the movie Blade Runner. Okay. Rid- Ridley sure. Scott, yeah, 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 Harrison Ford, uh-huh. um, based on the Philip K. Dick. But uh, there's a scene in it where Harrison Ford's character is doing some investigating. Rick Deckard. Yeah. He's got a photograph, and he's got it on his computer screen, and, and he keeps shuffling around looking at different frames of the photograph and then zooming way in and enhancing the photo. Right. Yeah. It's – um. it's – it's – the, the way TV Tropes defines it, they call it the enhance button. Right. Very similar to the scenario you were talking about at the very top of the show, Joe. It says – uh, a staple of any crime drama, the enhance button on the computer is able to turn a tiny, blurred, grainy image in a photo or video into a clear, unmistakable piece of evidence. This process is virtually instantaneous unless added dramatic tension is required, in which case extra techno babble or more applied phlebotanum may be needed. These, by the way, are other tropes. May require someone to stand next to the computer intoning enhance, enhance for full effect. So, yeah, this idea of taking something like an image, a photograph that is imperfect, it has a limited amount of data in it, and then enhancing it so that it becomes something useful, something recognizable. Is that a thing? Is that possible? All right, at least the way it's done in Hollywood, not so much. Well, it's not possible the way they do it because in these movies uh, and TV shows, you're just getting information that just blatantly just was not there before. Right, oh, right, right. You, you can only enhance up to as much information as actually exists in the physical record of that information. Exactly. You, right. you can't extrapolate new things whole cloth. Right. The but- way the way I'd put it is that there's sort of a 
bottleneck on data at the moment an image is captured. Um, data comes into the camera sure. and you record a certain amount of it and then data comes out later. Now you can manipulate that later data in all kinds of ways, but you can't ever put in more than came in through the lens to begin with. Well, not, not directly onto the raw image file. You can manipulate it enough and <clears throat> through guesswork, really. You're, you're kind of, right. you're kind of making some assumptions where you can fill in information that is missing, but it's not like you are uncovering the information that was there. You're actually creating new stuff to go in with the stuff that was captured at that moment. Right. It would be like if you saw, for example, somebody's shadow in a photograph. Right. Now, if somebody was a really good – I don't know if this is a real thing, but was really good at identifying humans by the shadows they cast – they could do the same kind of thing. They could look at the shadow and the picture and say, ah, oh, it's probably this person. But you still wouldn't actually have that person's image somewhere hidden in the file. Uh, right. And, you know, also, like, if, if you've got a picture of the back of a person's head, it's not like the image of their face is contained in that data somewhere. It's, <laughs> right. you, you can't just, just rotate person yeah. and, and have, you know, there's no button to do that. It's amazing how often you can do that in science fiction though. Like oh, turn sure. it around. I want to see this. I want to see this still image from the opposite angle <laughs> as if we can magically place the camera anywhere after the fact, uh, which you can do in a virtual environment. I mean, there are camera tricks you can do in a virtual environment that completely defy all laws of physics because that, they aren't a problem in a virtual environment. So, for example, in a video game, there are a lot of video games where you can capture the footage of you playing while you're playing the video game and then watch it later. And you can even watch it from various camera angles depending mm-hmm. upon the type of game. Like some games give you essentially free reign. You can place the camera anywhere you like. You can have a free roaming camera and move it dynamically as the scene plays back. So even though while you were playing, you had one set of perceptions, you know, you might have been able to move the camera around then too, but you were limited at that time by whatever was happening right then and there. But in playback, you may be given unlimited freedom. Now, that's just not the case with real life. I mean, obviously. Well, you know, it's that that, that data exists in real life, but if there's nothing there to record it, right. then we cannot exactly. watch it later. So when I was talking about the... Um, you know, creating stuff so that you can fill in the gaps. It's where you're, you're not, again, you're not uncovering lost information. You're not, uh, or, or obfuscated information. That's the way it comes across in these television and, and film, uh, mm-hmm. examples where the answer know, is hidden in the file and you just have to dig it up. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a button on your computer that somehow makes it go from blurry to not blurry and that it would, the info was always there. It just needed to be not blurry. That's not the case. That's not the way it works. Um, there was a great article in Wired that talked about this and talked about uh, some approaches that that various technicians have made to really uh, address this issue. You know, I was talking about uh, creating data to fill in those gaps, the stuff that's not actually there in these photos. You know, in the Hollywood and TV versions, it always seems like the information is there. It's just blurry or whatever. And when you hit this button, it removes whatever that problem was and you get to look at the information that was always there. That's not the case, right? We're talking about photos and video where stuff is missing, but you can start to fill in some of those gaps by creating stuff, by making guesses. And there was a great article in Wired that talked about this and talked about compressed sensing and sparsity. These are concepts that are used by technicians to kind of fill in information that might be missing, either a file 
you know, maybe maybe the image is just really fuzzy. It could be an old photograph, or it could just have been ma- made with a poor camera, or maybe something was on the lens, or whatever. And we can use these techniques to try and fill in information. Now, in the Wired article, they had a really uh, interesting analogy. They said that imagine that you have a book where on one page of the book you have almost half or maybe even more of the information missing. So you've got just missing words in sentences. Now, on the pages before and the pages after, you've got some information there, but on the page that you're interested in, you're missing words. It would be like trying to extrapolate what those missing words were just based on the little bits of information you had on the previous and following pages. It's really difficult to do. However, with compressed sensing, there was an interesting development. There was a, a guy named uh, Emmanuel Candes who was looking at what uh, an image called the Shep Logan Phantom. Now, this is actually an image that technicians use in order to test imaging algorithms. And it kind of looks like a... A, a, an alien with a slightly raised eyebrow, kind of a snarky alien. <laughs> okay. Now, what what he did was he took an older, fuzzy version of the image, not an older one, but a fuzzy one. So it, he was testing an algorithm trying to see if a particular technique would allow him to uh, to sharpen this image up a little bit. And the way the technique works is it looks for the simplest approach to filling out the information that's missing. by lo- It samples pixels in the image, and then from those samples, it starts to create simple shapes that are they're color-matched to the various parts of that sampled image. Now, uh, it tries to use the fewest number of these shapes to fill out this this photo or this this picture. It doesn't have to just be a picture, by the way. You can actually apply the same technique to other kinds of media, including music, where you know you might have a, a low sample rate for an old MP3 and you want to try and enhance it. It could do the same sort of thing with that. Right, right. Basically anything with a with a waveform is going to operate under very similar principles. So what they're doing here is uh, the the reason why he was doing this in the first place was not just to get a sharper picture of an alien. The the idea was to try and enhance MRI images because uh, the best way to get a very very clear MRI image is to put someone in an MRI machine and have them stay perfectly still for a couple of minutes. But to stay perfectly still for a couple of minutes usually means having to put them under anesthesia so they actually stop breathing. That's how still they needed people to be. Now, that's not really that great an option. So he was looking at what if I took this approach to try and take an image that was captured in, say, 40 seconds as opposed to two minutes and then try to use this this uh, this simple technique to see if I can sharpen it up. So he runs the the image through this algorithm he's created and turned out that the resulting image was a perfect match to or a near perfect match to the uh the original version of the Shep Logan phantom image and he thought well that's weird that can't be right there's no way that worked and so he tested it again and it got the same result and ended up showing it off to some other folks and and be- they really began to put their heads together and wrote a white paper on it and a research paper all about this uh technique and uh yeah it takes about 100,000 pixels for example and just really focus on those and build out these shapes and it could build a, a usable image. But a um, couple of caveats. One is that it can take a few hours to do this as the algorithm goes through all the different variations of the simplest way of approaching this. 
And there is a chance that the resulting image that you get back at the end is not a match for what it should have been. There is that chance. It's a small chance, according to the researchers, but it can happen because the computer is just basically guessing based upon all the the little bit of information that it has. So in that sense, if you have this this area of doubt where you know you might say well you know according to our computer model this is what the image would have looked like if we had looked at it at this scale uh you you know you have to keep that in mind you have to remember like this is what it probably looks like not this is definitely the image so that's another difference from the hollywood version right with the hollywood one as soon as they do the enhance there's our guy there's no way <laughs> Yeah, it's there's our guy. It's the guy who was billed third in the film. So now we know we got him. <laughs> Whereas this is just some dude. Yeah. So I mean that's a interesting approach, and, and uh, the the whole idea of sparsity is this idea of, of going with the simplest um, and, and fewest number of simple shapes. So it might be like it, it detects a couple of blue pixels. Uh, in a, in a, or a few blue pixels in an area, and then it just fills out the rest of that area with the same color blue. So that it's approaching at, you know, saying, well, this, this is probably part of a border for this thing. I'm just gonna fill in the rest. And it does that thousands and thousands of times for the entire image. But yeah, it's still not the kind of instantaneous approach we see in, uh, popular films and television. So. Um, well, on a much smaller scale and, and, in that kind of instantaneous sort of time frame, that's that's a function of Photoshop. I mean, you know, you can you can click that. I forget what the function is called in there. You can just click that little button and, and have it kind of fill out what a line would have looked like. Yeah, yeah. There according are, to what's around it, there are a lot of algorithms out there that uh, take this approach, where it it looks at the existing data and tries to extrapolate what the rest of it should be. Uh, and it's you know there. And I'm talking about a few pixels here. Right. They I have mean, they have different degrees of of uh, of sophistication mm-hmm. and and resolution, and uh, but nothing on the scale of the Hollywood version. Sure, sure. I I do think that that what we see in those kind of everyday applications is is what leads to some of the confusion about what like the professionals can do um like a like like with google maps you know you can you can zoom and enhance in a google map but that's because it's built of these multiple tiles of images that right. um, that that have greater acuity on the lower levels yeah it's not like when you are at you know at like satellite view of the earth that it has all the same detail as it would if you were a low flying plane they have different sets of images that are geolocated at particular points on the earth and that's you're, you're shifting from one set of images to another and, and so, the real genius of the program is how it allows you to sh- to do that shift yeah and it, it does it in such a way where it kind of makes you feel like you are having a seamless experience, but in reality you are switching from one set of photos to another. There's a similar thing in a way, uh, an idea called gigapan or gigapixel images. Gigapan's just one of the many terms for it. So this is the idea of taking several pictures, high, high, high resolution pictures of a scene, and then stitching all those pictures together to kind of make Sort of a, a panoramic image, but panoramic in beyond just, you know, it's a very wide photo. It could be very tall. It could, and, and the cool thing is that it allows you to zoom in at crazy levels because 
instead of it being just one big picture with lots and lots of information, it's actually a collection, a mosaic of all these high resolution images. So I've seen some of like sporting events, like, like the Olympics or something like that. And it's a picture of the crowd. And when you first look at it, you just see a mass of faces. It's just a huge number of people, maybe a hundred thousand people. And then you could arbitrarily say, all right, I want to zoom in on this one section of the crowd. And you zoom in until just that one section fills up your screen. And now you can suddenly see actual details. And then you say, mm, I kind of want to zoom in on that collection of, of, of folks, like that, that small group of, of people right there and zoom in even further. And depending upon how many photos they've taken and how high resolution the photos were, you might get to a point where you can read the text on a person's shirt. Or at least be able to see what kind of basic design is on a person's clothing. If they are wearing something that has a big logo on it or something, you might be able to tell. Um, and it, the illusion is that you've got this one picture that you can just zoom in indefinitely, just like you could in the movies. But the way you produce that file is actually by taking all these different pictures. It's not like it is a single element the way you would think from a film or TV show. There's actually sort of a whole family of image processing techniques that are known as super resolution. Mm -hmm. That's the idea of taking a picture and, and trying to somehow increase resolution after you've already got the final product. Right. Um, one of the techniques that I think is interesting is uh, – so we've talked about single frame. Mm -hmm increases in resolution but uh what about multiple frames so imagine you've got video okay uh, and it's not my one image per second security camera uh second per minute whatever i said um it's it's like continuous video mm -hmm. uh, you can actually put together frames in aggregate to make each frame sharper interesting uh, actually, that's the way that the human eye works. That is basically how we are all seeing things all the time. We we see in, I mean, I, I guess you could call it still frames, but but basically in video and uh, and our brains kind of compile the images as I'm looking back and forth between the two of you, or um or or kind of going like, what's that weird thing on the corner behind Noel's head? No, but um <laughs> no, uh, uh you know, and, and and your brain puts together this information into more or less a single image. Mm -hmm. So uh, so if you were to take a camera, let's say you've got a digital camera that could take burst photos, like a whole bunch in just a, a blink of an eye, then I assume you could apply the same sort of approach to try and create the best possible version of the picture you were trying to take. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, what's operating here is that when you have multiple frames – each frame is probably giving you some type of information that wasn't available in the frame before. So if somebody's turning their head or something like that at different points, you see different parts of it illuminated. Um, some parts are closer to the perfect ideal focus. And, and so by sort of selecting the best part of each of those images and, and averaging them, right. you can get a sharper image than you had in any of the original frames. This is kind of like that, that, those commercials you see of the cameras where you can swap out people so that you just see the best uh, best faces for everyone. Like you've got the group photo and you took oh, a yeah. series of group photos and you're like, well, 
little Billy was being a complete snot in the first <laughs> uh, first six of these, but in the seventh one, he's looking he's looking uh, you know at the camera and smiling. Unfortunately, uh, Dad has his eyes half closed because he's just about to sneeze. So we need to combine all these photos into the ideal family photo that never existed but seems to like that moment never existed. Right, the moment where everyone in the family is smiling and content and behaving never existed, but you've created the illusion that it has by combining all these images into one. Or if you're George Lucas and you really like an actor's face in one take, but their body (laughs) movements in another, so you just paste the two together in episodes one through three. Yeah, or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you just don't like actors and tell them not to act. Uh, Oh, sorry, that's a little... That's a different issue. Some editorializing there. (laughs) This, This also reminds me of... The uh, the app I, I talked to you about, Lauren, a uh, Groupic. Groupic, yeah. This is this is one um, that was created by um, Idu's Labs, which is out in uh, uh, Pakistan. But it's um, it's it's an app that lets everyone be in in a photograph without any one photographer having to having to step out right. permanently, so, so or or having to give your you know very expensive device to, to a random stranger right, who may right. or may not make off with so, it. So let's say let's say like we get the whole How Stuff Works crew to go someplace. You know, we're all going to Six Flags for a day, and uh, we want to get our our picture taken in front of the Great American Screen Machine as we are wont to do. <laughs> and uh, and there's the whole group. But who takes the photo? Do we? Entrust our expensive How Stuff Works camera to some ragamuffin walking by, or, or Bugs Bunny? Yeah, or, or no, Bugs Bunny? Yeah, no, he can't be trusted. He can't. Doesn't even have opposable thumbs. So, uh, yeah, we we end up saying, well, what can we do? What if we use Groupic? Then essentially, from what I understand, what it allows you to do is take. Uh, at least two photos where it's, you swap out photographers and then you can combine the two so that you have both photographers in the full group photo. Oh, right. The app, the app helps you frame a picture and then, um, you, uh, you know, one person takes the first picture, a second person takes the second one. Um, you mark out who the two photographers were on screen and, uh, uh, based on the fact that it's already framed it for you and so they're more or less identical photos. Otherwise, um, it will, it will swap out the little slivers. Ah, of people I see. and and you know it's it it helps if you have one each each photographer on the extreme ends of the frame. Right. This would right. have been so useful to like uh despotic Soviet rulers, <laughs> you know, well, like Joseph Stalin, what's the I that like al- that you went straight to despotic Soviet rulers. Yeah, on you this know. One. So the, so you've eliminated some political rival and you want to erase his image from pictures of you. Um, now you can not just erase him, but you can also insert your new cronies and sycophants, <laughs> right? I, I said that what I want to do is use this kind of thing to take a picture where there's like 20 Jonathans all in the same photo. You can. You can certainly do that. Your dream world. The- yeah. <laughs> you know, but my dream, your nightmare. <laughs> this all this all weirds me out, honestly. I, I mean, it's the technology is fascinating and wonderful. Um, and and this kind of automatically revisionist history is I'm, I'm not sure that if, whether or not I need access to this technology for 99 cents for an app. It's it actually does have some somewhat troubling implications. The idea that you can manipulate images to such an extent as to create a new history that never really existed. It's kind of, you know, I mean, that's a plot point in a lot of movies and television as well. It's just now we're getting to a point where the average consumer could theoretically do that with very little training. 
and 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 we all do this all the time. I mean, everything that we're seeing again, like like the human eye is flawed. It's only taking in so much information, and it's filling in a lot of gaps in between those frames that it's taking in. But um, but yeah, just doing that on purpose. I'm like, okay. Well, I thought I'd talk a little bit about some other kind of cool camera tricks. There was one in particular we wanted to talk about, um, which was this idea of being able to take photos and then change the focal point after you've taken the photo. Yeah, the uh, light field cameras. Right? Yeah, light field cameras, also known as planoptic cameras, although they're not true planoptic cameras. A planoptic camera, well, it comes from the Latin word uh, plenus, which actually means full or complete. And then optic, of course, is the behavior of light. A true planoptic camera is impossible. It's just a theory. It's kind of a thought experiment. Because the reason why it's impossible is that it, it's the idea that you would be able to take uh, all the visual information within an environment, kind of like in those virtual environments, and be able to reproduce a still image from any angle, from any focal point, it's not really possible, not only because we can't just place a camera anywhere in the uh, uh, room, but also because the camera itself is going to reflect light off of it. And so the camera's presence, it's kind of like that whole idea, like the by observing something, you change the observed. It's sort of Heisenberg's similar to that. uncertainty camera. <laughs> similar, although Heisenberg's uncertainty principle would tell me that I know where the camera is, but I don't know how quickly it's taking pictures. Um, that's just a little quantum joke. But anyway, it's not a true planoptic camera, but a light field camera, what it does is it tries to capture all the rays of light and every direction that they are traveling within a single frame of reference, a single image. So uh, the, the camera that a lot of people have heard about is the Lytro, which is this... Uh, uh, this really cool camera. If you were to just look at one, you would you would think, oh, that looks like some sort of prism or something because it's not you know it's not camera shaped. It looks like a you know this this elongated uh, cubic kind of thing, and it actually allows you to take photos and then change the focal point after you've taken them. So if you've set up like a, a scene so that uh, you've got you know Joe, let's say that you are just crazy about wargaming. And you have a, you have an enormous <laughs> collection of painted lead miniatures. Oh, that kind of war. That kind of war gaming. <laughs> no, not that you actually are buddying up to your your Russian despotic friends that you've already referred to in this episode. Yeah. But no, that you play tabletop war gaming games. Okay. And you've got a huge collection of these painted lead miniatures, and you've you've set them up into this neat uh, uh, row upon row of battalion of soldiers and. Uh, on this table, and you take a photo from the end of the table. Now, normally, you would have to set a focal point on your camera, right? You would have to say, all right, I want to focus on the, the front soldiers so that everything in the background kind of fades away into fuzziness as it goes further back. Or you would set the focal point so that the ones in the back are in focus and the ones in front are kind of blurry. Well, the Lytro camera captures the light field, all of those light rays traveling in every direction, and then creates essentially a virtual camera with a virtual lens within the software. And so when you view your image, you can change the focal point and say, all right, I want to focus on the soldiers that are in the back, and it'll switch the focus to the soldiers in the back, or I want to focus on the ones in the front. And it will create essentially a virtual camera with a virtual lens and a virtual image sensor that would have created that particular image. And you can change it as many times as you want. Uh, and it lives that way, but only if you're viewing it on a computer. Obviously, if you were to ever print an image out, it would be stuck in whatever focal point you had chosen. Huh. That seems really cool, but I wonder how much 
space does one of those image files take up? A lot. Yeah, yeah. they they does, are. Does it take a long time to to process those? Not at all. Out? No? It's like crazy fast. Hmm. I mean, like, d- d- does it take a long time to take the original image? No. Not at all. I mean, because, you know, the, the kind of depth of field that you're, that you're talking about, like, you know, what was so, uh, revolutionary about artists like Ansel Adams was that they were working with such large prints, um, of, of film that they could gain a depth of focus that was huge. Well, it is, there is a limitation. The Lytro camera, it's not like, it's not the kind of camera you're going to take with you to go, um, you know, like uh, on a fast sightseeing tour, mm-hmm. it's it's great for things that where you have composed a scene and you want to take a photo of that scene, or if you wanted to do something like you have a flower in front of you and you're holding a flower uh, in in front of you and there's the Eiffel Tower in the background, you could take a picture like that and then you could swap the focus so that the Eiffel Tower is in focus or the flowers in focus. But it's not the kind of thing you would just carry around to take a snap whenever you were walking around. It's it's not that that kind of camera it's, it's not, not in your iphone no yeah. no it's not designed for that it's not uh, meant for that uh and you know I've, I've played with one of these i actually got a chance to play with one and it's kind of cool the viewfinder on the back is essentially the entire uh it's not even a viewfinder it's a screen it's a, a touch screen that is the entire uh interface so you'd point the camera at something you'd see the video image of it on the little uh, view uh, the screen on the back i keep saying viewfinder but it's a screen you tap it, it would take the photo, mm-hmm. uh, and then you could w- look at the image on the screen on the back. And even then, you could touch different parts of the image and bring that part into focus. Uh, and then once you uploaded the images, they would live on a website that Lytro owned, and uh, th- you would be able to play with them and share them that way. You could share it onto uh, other platforms like Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And people could view the images and pl- and they could change the focal point too. So it's a living image in that sense. So if I were to upload one of these images, Joe, you could go and look at it and say, oh, what would this look like if this part were in focus? And you click on it and then it would switch. So it was a and neat – And you zoom in and see the, <laughs> the shadowy man looming in the back window. That, that part's not built in yet. Uh, but who knows what could happen in the future. <laughs> so that was one super cool kind of futuristic – thing that exists right now and the Lytro camera came out a couple years ago and has you know sort of been uh, more or less a curiosity I would say among a certain like like the tech savvy group who heard about it early uh, kind of really dug it I don't own one I thought it was a neat product but I I didn't actually purchase one but I did enjoy playing with it Uh, but then there's other like kind of futuristic ideas like the idea of being able to use a camera to take a picture of something that's not even in the room like it's in the room next door. Hmm. How does that work? Well, you could have an X-ray camera. That would work, but it would also be very dangerous. Yeah, um, was, irradiating yourself every time you take a picture. Yeah, is less than not ideal. to mention not to mention your your. You don't do it to yourself. You do it to other people. But if you're taking the photo, <laughs> you're still being exposed to X-rays. Go get my lead pants. We're going <laughs> photography. <laughs> Uh, lead pants at Six Flags. That's that's what I'm picking up from this. But you know, anyway, so the, this is a, a concept that uh, has been worked out over at MIT. <laughs> settle, children, settle. They called him lead pants. Okay, Joe. Enough. Enough. We're keeping all of this. It's all going in. No, we're not. Yes, we are. <laughs> Executive decision. No, it's all kept. Noel, you answer to me. It's all kept. So um, MIT, at MIT, uh, researchers were working on this idea of being able to take 
images of stuff that wasn't directly within the field of view of the camera. The, the example used was that let's say you're shooting an image in a room and there's an open door that goes into another room. Now you do not have a, an angle of view into that other room. You can just see the open door mm-hmm. that is opened into the other room. Uh, you take an image with this camera and then it starts to collect data and reconstruct what might be in that other room, giving you an image of, let's say, that there's a person hiding in there. You would see the picture of a figure in that other room, which is a cool idea. How does this work? It's actually using very, very short bursts of laser light to project laser light out. Uh, that Some of that laser light hits the doorway that's open and bounces off of it. It then will eventually hit stuff that's in the room, bounce off that back to the door, bounce off the door back to the camera. Now, the number of rays of light of this laser light or the the amount of information that's coming back is a fraction of what was sent out. Right. You're, you're only getting a tiny little echo back of what you had just sent out in a burst. And they're using femto lasers, which means. It's sending out a burst of, of light that's a quadrillionth of a second long. And uh, they actually have to use a special kind of shutter that closes after they shoot out this light because they don't want that initial bounce back to uh, affect the information of the stuff that's in that other room. Because anything that if you know if if the laser light just hits the door and bounces right back to the camera that's going to ruin the image so what it does is it the shutter actually stays closed for a fraction of a second then opens up to accept all more all incoming photons and then the way it reconstructs the the room that is out of view is it measures the amount of time it took that photon to come back to the camera so it's almost like sonar but with light um and it's a really cool idea. The only thing is that the reconstruction part, again, is probabilistic. It's a best guess, which means that you could get information back because it's such a small amount compared to what you sent out that there's a lot of extrapolation that has to happen in order for you to be able to take a look at what was in that other room. Yeah, I'd wonder if your image of what was in the room could be affected by, I don't know, I mean, not just solid objects, but heat and atmospheric composition. And I would imagine not. I mean, we're talking lasers, so that's a very direct kind of radiation. Uh, yeah, if it's radiation. just measuring the, um, the, the, the time periods between the photons, then it's a... Uh, yeah, I think it... I don't... I mean, but, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. It mm-hmm. may very well be. Um, I think most of the time, like the, the... At least the example they gave of taking a picture of something that's happening in another room, you probably don't have to worry too much about that. Now, if there's a lot of electromagnetic... Uh, interference in there that could end up playing a part but I don't know maybe if Electro is is trying to play Xbox <laughs> in the room next door that might be a bad thing extra technology combined in with um with, with regular old photography if you can call something like that regular old photography is um is probably gonna gonna lead us in interesting places like you know if, if all of our all of our cell phones basically have accelerometers in them these days. And if you can combine that data with the data that happened when you took a motion blurred photo, you could hypothetically correct for. I That's see. Brilliant. So yeah. So what? Oh. Essentially saying like, oh, well, the camera was moving right to left when this photo was taken. Uh, here is what it would have looked like had it been still at the moment that the photo was was snapped. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, uh, the the, the cool thing about this technology is that while we are not in the realm of zoom and enhance the way we see it in movies and television, there's no 
question in my mind that we are heading in that direction. Now, it may very well be that the images we see when we zoom and enhance are a lot of guesswork, very sophisticated guesswork. But I think we're going to get there to a point where we don't have to wait a certain number of, you know, like 10 hours to, to get an idea of what this fuzzy photo might be of. Well, in a way, I would say that I, I do think in one interpretation, we are never going to get there because we're still never going to have information that wasn't that captured. we didn't record. No, yeah. no, um, it, it'll, we're, it'll we're, we will always be limited to what's there and guesses about it. Right, but but our guesses are getting better. Yeah, and, and our way of recording is yes. getting better. So, yeah. like we previous cameras did not have this shoot a femto laser into a you know obscured room. Right, before. right. Mm-hmm. And as computers get more powerful, we're, um, you know, a lot of the equations that people are working with right now are things that have been, been around since the, the 1900s or the, the 1800s, I'm sorry. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Fourier transform, which mm. is a big one that, um, that is being passed around in, in most of the, most of the apps that you can download to reduce blur. Yeah, that was a dude who was born in 1768. So, <laughs> so, you know, the, this, this math has been around, but, the way that we're using it right now is pretty pretty, pretty cool. incredible. Yeah, so uh, we're not going to be we're not going to be doing any sort of uh, bones like uh, technological wonders. I, I hear that they actually started to scale back on some of the more ridiculous technological things they would do in that show. I haven't watched. I haven't it watched it in, in a few seasons. In, yeah. But so uh, w- which one is Bones? Bones was the one with um, David Boreanaz as the cop mm-hmm. and. Uh, Emily Emily Deschanel yeah. as a as the anthropologist and um and they and they had their their they solve crimes through science <laughs> science in quotes <laughs> science they, fiction they solve crimes in science fiction their their pretty lady um, computer scientist would 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 be like like oh hey yeah no I just totally developed this new computer that does this crazy thing so yeah I I am excited to see where camera technology takes us in the future maybe we get to a point where every image you see. You'll just have to keep in mind, I cannot trust that this moment ever actually happened. We're kind of already there, aren't we? Because, I don't know, do you believe the photos you see on the internet? Like, when my friends on Facebook post their wedding photos or the picture of their new baby, I have to comment, shopped. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Photoshopped. Did you guys see, this This plays into our conversation a little bit. Did you guys see the thing I posted? There was a guy who uh, faked being at Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah, a, I saw that. Like a, a friend of his went to Comic Con, and he was not going to Comic Con, but he decided just for kicks that he would pretend that he was also at Comic Con. So he kept texting him, going like, "Oh, hey, I'm over here in this meeting room. Or, are are you here? Yeah. Oh, you just missed me. Oh yeah. no, I'm over here now." But he was he had been before, so he knew enough about Comic Con to be able to uh, to to fake it and say, "Oh, I'm over at Hall H, or I'm over across at the over uh, in the the gas lamp district getting food." And just leading this poor sucker along the entire time. One of the things he did was he found, he scoured Twitter for images taken, and Instagram taken from, uh, from Comic Con, found one of these two guys, like a, it was a, it was a couple of celebrities posing together. And so then he matched himself, uh, standing in an alleyway behind his house and then photoshopped himself into the photo, replacing the guy, one of the two celebrities. So it looked like he was hanging with one of these other guys and then uploaded that and sent it to his friend saying, I just ran into so-and-so here we are together. And it looked great. I mean, it didn't like upon 
casual glance, it did not appear to be a photoshopped image. Now, if you were to look really closely, you'd say, huh, the lighting is really weird because his face is not lit exactly the same way. But, you know, if you're just looking casually, you wouldn't think anything of it. So, yeah, at this point, I think you're right, Joe. I think we have to just assume that everyone's photos of their wedding and babies and shopped. everything is yeah. shopped. Yeah. Yep, everything is. Well, guys, uh, that kind of wraps up our discussion. What do you guys think about the future of photography and videography and cameras in general? Is it something that's exciting to you? Uh, are you a Photoshop wizard? Do you have lots of examples of crazy Photoshops? Do you want to do some crazy Photoshops of the hosts of Forward Thinking? <laughs> it's going to happen. I might as well Why? ask. Okay. It happens. Well, guess what? We have images of all the hosts of Forward Thinking. You can find those over at our Facebook page. Uh, they're they're up there. You can also, if you hunt around, you'll you'll find photos of us. I can't wait to see where we end up. Uh, by the way, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us. Our address is fwthinking at discovery.com. And go to fwthinking.com for all the blogs, podcasts, videos, lots of other interesting material there. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 